All right. Well, last week we went through 40 verses of the Bible, <laughs> and we plowed through them. This week we're going to go through four verses. All right. <laughs> that's, I don't know why it is that way, but that's just the way God has, has led us. Uh, we are in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Um, so if you can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll, we'll read from there. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Thus sends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it find the endurance that they need as they look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of their faith. How many of you are fans of the Tour de France? Anyone? I got one hand over there. <laughs> well, if you've ever watched it, and at least one of you has, um, you, you would know how grueling of a race it truly is. Uh, each day holds something new which, which highlights the unique skills of these, of these cyclists. But it's on the, on the mountain stages where you separate the men from the boys. Uh, where those who have the greatest endurance begin to pull away from the field. And yet, as great as these men are, they would have no victory without a good team supporting them. You see, it takes teamwork in order for one man to win the Tour de France. And the reason they need to have a good team is because there's these other stages that are flatter. And in these flatter portions of the race, you need to ride in what's called a tandem. That, that's when, when, when your team, you'll form this line of bicyclists with, with one man out in front. This one man is taking all the drag upon himself. And after he does this for a little while, what he does, he, he then falls back to the back of the line. And then the next in line takes his turn in setting the pace. When this is done well, this, this group of cyclists they can easily outpace a lone sprinter. And they will use less energy in doing so as well. Now what is the key in running a good tandem? It's to never take your focus off of the cyclist who is right in front of you. Last week we, we looked at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is also known as the Great Hall of Faith. And it was there that we not only saw the definition of faith, 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So we saw the definition of faith, but, but we also saw examples of that faith in the lives of these Old Testament saints. We, we heard of stories of Abel and Abraham and Sarah. We witnessed Joseph and Moses and Rahab. We, we discovered these men and women who, who lived by faith, and thus they were commended by God. And these examples, they were, they were written down not only for this early church that our author was writing to, but, but they were written down for us as well. We are to emulate these men and women by having trust in the unseen God and by believing in his promises. For when we live by faith, we are then able to persevere through life's trials and, and rough circumstances. And now today we're going to look at one last example. One, the example of a, of a man who who was able to endure a hardship greater than any other. For we are going to look to a man who, who not only suffered in this life, but, but he did so without sin. We're going to look to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reason we are looking to him is twofold. First, he, he, he truly is our ultimate example of how to endure suffering. For, for he was able to do so better than any of those saints of old. But second, we are, we are to look to him, we are to look to Christ, because it is only through Christ that we ourselves will be able to find the strength that we need to endure the troubles that we have in our life. And so let's look to our text. Let's, let's see what we can learn. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says this, <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now in this first verse and a half, we see the call of the Christian. And our author, he's using this metaphor of a race to make his point. But where does this metaphor begin? It begins with, with those in the stands. Those who have come to watch. What does he say? Therefore, we are surrounded by a great clouds, great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses that he's referring to? What did we just read last, last Sunday in chapter 11? Those, those saints of old, right? That great hall of faith. We are, we are to realize that, that they have come to watch us run. Imagine, if you will, that you are a professional basketball player. And today is your first day in the league. And now imagine that, that filling the stands around you are nothing but the former greats. And they are all there to cheer you on. There, there, there's Mikan and Russell and Koozie. There's, there's Chamberlain and Kareem and, and West. 
Magic and Bird and Dr. J, Jordan, Zeke, Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaq, Kobe. I I could go on. I'm a basketball fan. And so there's all these great players that are sitting in the front row, and they're there to watch you play, to give you the inspiration that you need. And they're all saying there, they're all sitting there and they're cheering, you can do this. You got this. I mean, all of us at one time were were, were rookies just like you. Just take a deep breath and play ball like you know you can. Now, how encouraging would that be? This is the type of message that our author is trying to convey to us. Sitting in the, in the front row watching you as the likes of Enoch and, and Noah and, and Isaac. There's, there's Jacob and Joshua and Ruth. Samuel and, and David and Elijah. Daniel. Esther. Jeremiah. You see, I'm not just a basketball fan either. I like my Old Testament saints as well. And and, and these men and women, they are all there to cheer you on as you run this race, as you live the Christian life by faith. They're saying to you, press on. You can do this. After all, look look at us. It's been done before. This is what our author is saying to us. That this great cloud of witnesses is they are surrounding you. Ready to lift you up in your time of need. And the way they do so is through their testimony. They bear witness that, 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 it, is, that it is possible to endure. And so, and so you who have chosen to live by faith, you are to look to them in order to find encouragement, in order to keep going. And there are three things that they are encouraging you to do. Things which which they did when it was their turn to run. The first of which is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Back in... uh, Greco-Roman times when they would have their Olympic games, the runners would actually remove their clothing in order to allow their their arms and their legs to to have free movement. You you see, it's it's not like modern times. They they didn't have these lightweight shorts and and t-shirts back then. Rather, the clothing that they had was cumbersome. And so if you wanted to be fast, well, you needed to strip down. Being fully dressed would only hold you back. Well, in a, in a similar manner, there are things in our own lives that hold us back. Things that are cumbersome. Things that don't allow us to run smoothly. These are the weights and the sins that cling so closely. Let's first talk about the weights. Given the context of this book, I believe that what our author particularly has in mind is the weight of discouragement. I mean, think about the sorrow that this 
early church must have been going through, not only dealing with the persecution that they were under, but also seeing many of their good friends leave the faith. It would have been really easy for, the, for these people to just say, what's the point? We should just give up. Let's throw in the towel and join them. I'll be honest with you, one of the most discouraging things in my own life has been seeing my, my two daughters reject the faith now that they are older. And my heart aches for both of them. And to this day, I still don't understand why this has happened or why God has allowed it. At first, I began questioning myself. You know, what, what did I do wrong? How did I fail as a father? But as time passed, I began questioning God. I mean, after all, He is sovereign, is He not? And shouldn't he have been able to prevent something like this? But it is this type of discouragement that we need to watch out for. For if we let it weigh us down, then it will slow us down. It will get us off track of the race that God wants us to run. And that's because discouragement truly is a lack of faith. It's saying to God, I don't trust you. And I don't trust what you are doing in this world. I don't have the hope that, that, that you are working together all things for the good of those who love you. Bottom line is, letting discouragement weigh you down is not living by faith. Before I move off to this point, let me clarify something first. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should never feel sadness. For you should. There, there are plenty of moments in everybody's life where, where tears need to be shed and where hearts need to ache. I mean, the results of the fall, the, re, the results of sin should make us weep. And yet, in the same breath, we can't allow those moments to control us or to define our faith. And so there must come a point where we need to lay aside this weight of discouragement and trust in God. But it's not just the weight of discouragement that we need to remove, is it? What else does our author say? but also our sin, which clings so closely. Think about that phrase. Our sin, which clings so closely. One of the things that we need to understand is that after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, that set the stage for sin to run rampant in the lives of every single human being. Everyone. Look, look at this verse from the Psalms. Look at Psalm 51, verse 5. These are David's words. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
What David is saying here is that at the moment of his conception, he was full of sin. Listen, a lot of people out there think that that we are born innocent. And that not until our first sin do we become sinners. That's not what Scripture teaches. We're we're not sinners because we sin. We, We sin because we are sinners. In fact, the Bible describes us as being slaves to sin. It's ingrained within us. It's like we have these shackles that, that, that constrain us and, and hold us down. Listen to the words of our Lord. Look at, look at John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Today, there, there are... Many people out there who who think they are living these free lives because they have stopped feeling guilty about their sins. And yet what they don't truly understand is that they are not free. Rather, they have fallen under the full weight of slavery. Their, Their shackles have been tightened so tight that their wrists and their ankles have become numb. And they have deceived themselves to such a great degree that they think they are free when their master is whipping their backs. And yet Christ has the power to loosen those shackles. And if you have true faith in Jesus, well then you are no longer a slave to sin. Rather you have a new master. One who is both kind and and compassionate. Look at look at Romans 6 verses 17 and 18. It says this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And so if you are in Christ, you are now free from sin's power. Think about that. You are free from sin's power. And yet at the same time, sin is very hard to let go of, is it not? It wants to cling to us like our author said. And oftentimes, we still desire it over Christ. Think about your own life. What what are the sins that are clinging to you? What are those rebellious acts in which you have seen little change? And ask yourself, why are they still there? Why are they still there if Christ has freed you? In what ways have they weakened your faith? You see, because that's what sin is. It is a lack of faith. It is telling the God who created you, I don't trust you. I don't believe that your ways are good, and so I'm going to live my life the way I want to live because I think it will be so much better. Better to just follow my own path. But the reality of the matter is is that what we're 
doing when we sin is we are trying to put those shackles back on once again. Those things that slow us down and prevent us from running the race that God wants us to run. And that's why our author asks us, he, 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 he implores us to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And yet we are not just to free ourselves of these burdens and then stand still, are we? No. We are to run. And that's why in this second encouragement we see from our author, he says this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first thing you should notice is this word endurance. In other words, the, the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. Just the other day, I found myself growing impatient when I was on my computer. Anybody ever been there? Yeah? yeah. I was doing this search on DuckDuckGo, and, and it was being slow. I, I don't know if it was my processor, or the server, or my internet provider, but instead of Results popping up instantly. I had to wait like seven seconds. <laughs> and, and during those seven seconds, guess what I did? I groaned, audibly groaned. Oh, you know? I mean, think about that. I received the exact knowledge that I was looking for in a span of seven seconds. And I was not satisfied. We live in a world today that wants everything quick and that wants everything now. You know, whether it's fast food or the speed of the internet, we have been trained to expect things instantly. For, for example, if, if you're out of the house and, and you want to know who won the ball game, well, you no longer have to wait for the morning paper. In fact, you no longer have to wait to get home and, and watch it on ESPN. All you have to do is pull out your phone, right? Tap an icon. And you can not only find out the score of the game that you're interested in, but 20 other scores as well. Or think about streaming services like Netflix. They've learned how to profit off of our impatience. They'll give you a whole season of episodes all at once. And the reason they do this is, is because they've recognized that their customers have become binge watchers, right? That they will spend 12 hours in one sitting watching that favorite program. And it's all because we are impatient. We don't want to have to wait week after week to find out what happens next. Bottom line is this, as, as a society, we no longer view patience as a virtue. Sometimes I think we view the Christian life in this same light. We want our walk with Christ to be this quick and easy process. We want our churches to grow rapidly, right? We, we want blessings on demand. And we want our sins to, to magically disappear. But that's not how Christ works. And that's not how the Christian life plays itself out. Look at, look at Galatians 6, verse 9. It says this, 
And let us not grow weary in, in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Dear friends, living by faith is not an easy thing to do. Rather, it is very, very difficult. For it takes a sustained effort. It's like a tree that grows over many, many years. It takes time for God to, to grow us and to shape us into mature Christians. And therefore, we must run like long-distance runners, pacing ourselves for the long haul. We must realize that, that growth comes over time, that it doesn't happen overnight. And we must also realize that there is a path set before us, that there will be things that God will have us endure, things that we will not like, and yet they are there for our good. God is using them for His own purposes, purposes that we may not see until we have run far, far down the road. And so we need to lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and we are to run with endurance the path that's set before us. But there's one more thing that our author urges us to do, and that is to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In a race, it is important to keep your eyes looking forward. Am I right? The, the best runners have their focus on what is ahead of them. I mean, think, think back again to those tandem racers that I talked about earlier. It, it is the one who is in the front that sets the pace. But those who are further back, all they need to do is keep their eyes focused on that sole racer who is ahead of them. The Christian life is no different. We need to think of Jesus as our lead runner, as the one who knows the path that we are about to run on and who can guide us by setting the pace. We should follow in his footsteps because he knows exactly how to finish this race, does he not? I mean, after all, he is that ultimate example of how this race is run. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. But how does he do this? Look at, look at the end of verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see the example of Christ. How he ran the race when he went to the cross. When he was inflicted with a persecution that was far greater than anything that we have ever had to endure. And we see these same three categories that we saw earlier, only now they're in inverse order. One who for the joy that was set before him. Here we find Jesus keeping his eyes trained on what lied ahead of him. 
He, he knew that the suffering that he would have to endure would result in something far greater, something far more glorious, something that would outweigh the pain that would be inflicted upon him. And so this far more glorious thing that he focused his eyes upon, what was it? The salvation of his people, right? The salvation of you. The salvation of me. He looked forward to that future blessing. Second, he, he endured the cross. Here we see that word again, right? Endured. We're talking about endurance. Christ had both the patience and the determination to go through the, any agony that was before him. To go through the suffering of the cross. And he did so realizing that it would lead to something better. He did not rush through the pain. Rather, he endured it. And lastly, he despised the shame. You, you see, the, the cross, the cross was the lowest form of capital punishment that the Romans handed out. It, it was reserved for slaves and insurrectionists. It was not only meant to kill the guilty party, but, but also to humiliate him. Sending a message to, to any who looked upon those crosses where those people hung. But, so they would think twice before they would commit the same type of crime. You see, to die on a cross was a shameful, shameful death. And yet our author tells us, that Jesus despised the shame. In other words, Jesus believed that, that the shame that came with the cross was of insignificant value. And so he set it aside, not letting it hinder him from running the race. And as Christians, we are called to look to Christ. We must not get distracted from by the things of this world, the things that want our attention. Rather, we are to keep our eyes trained on Him. We must realize that we cannot do this in our own strength as well. But we must look to this one who, who sets the pace for us and teaches us how to run, who, who, who lays aside the things that hinder, who, who runs with endurance, who, who keeps his eyes focused forward. We are to keep looking towards him. Look at, look at our last two verses. Look at verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This early church who our author was writing to had to have been tired. For they had, they had had years and years of persecution. They were fatigued. Not only because of their own struggles, but because of, of all the good friends who had left the faith. And thus they themselves were tempted 
to stop running. They were weary deep down in their souls. And yet the example that they had in Christ, this example would help them to continue to move forward. For in Jesus they had one who not only felt the sting of betrayal like they felt, but, they, but one who also suffered a harsher form of persecution. For these people had yet to resist to the point of shedding their own blood. What our author means by that is that, yes, they've been put in prison. Yes, they, they lost homes. But they had yet to die for their faith. What about us in this room? We have not taken that track yet. And if we are fortunate, we will never have to. But that's not up to us. The, the, the Christian life, it leads down a marathoner's path. And we have no idea what lies around the bend. But what we do know is who we follow. This one who runs the race before us. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you look to him, he, he will not only set the pace for you, but he will give you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit who will help you to endure, who will help you to live by faith. Therefore, set aside the weight and the sin that clings so closely. Run with endurance. And most importantly, look to Jesus, this one who sets the pace for you. For if you are following him, then you will certainly finish. Let us pray. Father, many of us are coming to you today tired and worn out. We have been running this race for a long, long time and we are exhausted. We need your strength. We need your endurance if we are to finish. And Father, there, there are still others of us who are just getting started who have fresh legs and are ready to sprint on ahead. And yet it is your son whom we must follow. And so we ask for your patience. We ask for your guidance. Help us to slow down and not to rush ahead of him and what it is that he is doing. Help us to set aside all that hinders and help us to run with endurance as this is a long, long race and help us to keep our eyes focused on your Son, Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For he will be the one who will show us how to run we cannot do this in our own strength. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. So fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.